Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Um, as you know, we're doing a, a series, Help and Hope for a Holy Life. I know that, let me ask you this, who, who in here is tired? Who, anybody in here tired right now? A few of you aren't? No? Some of you, some of you are, right? I know you got some tired moms, right? Got some tired, uh, some, someone's asleep already? No, no. Um, it's okay, Darius will be good. He's got, I got, I'll just talk like this the whole time and he'll go right to sleep. But then everybody else will too. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and uh, hopefully we'll, I'll try to be a little interactive today to keep everybody awake, and uh, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day, and I thank you that we're here. I just pray now that you would bless this time that we have together this morning. God, I ask that you would direct um, my words, Lord, that they would uh, truly reflect what you would have for us today. And I pray these things now in Christ's name, amen. Uh, I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to review today. I'm going to jump right into this, the topic that we have at hand just because I'm gonna, I want to try to condense some of these ideas here. Um, the next step along the way, I've talked a lot about things to stop doing. I want to start talking about some things that you ought to start doing, which is actually a very biblical principle. Some of you know it is this whole idea of put off, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on. So I'm kind of weaving those ideas in here. And so I'm going to start today with uh, what are actually known as spiritual disciplines. Now, has anybody ever heard of the word oxymoron? Anybody ever heard that word? You guys know what that means? Oxymoron is, is two words that, that seem like they're saying the opposite things, right? Um, and so some people hear spiritual discipline, and you might think that's an ox, like spiritual, but then discipline, and it might seem to some like those are opposite extremes. And I'm going to address that a little bit today, but I also want to talk about what are the spiritual disciplines. So let me, let me go back. Let me just start with a basic idea here with just this idea of discipline. Okay, Discipline is not just what you do when you're correcting your children, right? Disciplines. I've heard this illustration before. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Um, I actually got this one. Uh, from a website. I've heard this a hundred different times in different ways, but this one I got from the website called The Art of Manliness. I thought that's a funny name for a, a website. But uh, um, so someone who is just starting to learn to play an instrument can, o- can only haltingly play with sheet music at hand, and then only a very limited number of basic tunes. A musician who has spent thousands of hours mastering his instrument, however, can play an astonishing range of soaring, beautiful songs and can improvise his own music. Discipline has liberated his art. Does that make sense? I mean, it, some people go, well, doesn't discipline stifle? But if you think about just something basic, if I went over there and I tried to play the piano right now, I, I might be free to play whatever I wanted, but... Not really. It would, be, it, would, it would be horrible. And I wouldn't, I, I can be honest, I wouldn't feel, it might be funny for a second, but then after like one second, I'd be like, this is embarrassing. Right? There, there, there's no enjoyment in that. But there's something about somebody who's, who's spent hours and hours learning something that frees them. There's a freedom in that to be able to compose. Okay? Let me give you another example. Um, this one is from an author named John Guest, and I've heard this one before, because a lot of people that go, well, spirituality ought it not to be spontaneous. Okay? Now, this is hugely important, so I'm going to pause for my notes for just a moment. 
I don't know about you, but for me, when I first started seeking after God, one of the things that I, I thought there was something wrong with me, because I thought when I started seeking after God that God would like make me just want, like I, I honestly thought that I would go, I just want to read the Bible all the time now. I thought that would happen. And because there were times where I got up and I would go to read my Bible, I'm like, Ugh, and it felt like drudgery. I thought, there must be something wrong with me. Okay? And I'm going to tell you right now, if you've ever felt that way, there's not something wrong with you. Okay? And I've talked about different aspects of that. But being a spiritual person does not have to involve, and I'm going to use a word that this, uh, this next example gives, is spontaneity. You guys know what I mean by spontaneity, right? Like, some people feel like to be truly spiritual, you've got to spontaneously feel like reading your Bible. The, oh, the, or I've got to spontaneously feel like praying, or I've got to spontaneously feel like doing these things. And if, if I don't, then it's fake. I'm telling you right now, that's not true. Okay? Let me give you a, a second example. Uh, this author's name, I'm not, I didn't put this one up here because it's so long. Uh, author John Guest compares the spontaneous person who shrugs off the need for discipline, he compares that to a farmer who went out to gather the eggs. Okay? Now, as he walked across the farmyard toward the hen house, he noticed the pump was leaking. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I read this example and I thought, well, this is, this is me sometimes. As he walked across the farmyard toward the hen house, he noticed the pump was leaking. So he stopped to fix it. It needed a new washer. So he set off to the barn to get one. But on the way, he saw that the hayloft needed straightening. So he went to fetch the pitchfork. Hanging next to the pitchfork was a broom with a broken handle. I must make a note to myself to buy a broom handle the next time I get to town, he thought. By now it is clear that the farmer is not going to get his eggs gathered. Nor is he likely to accomplish anything else he sets out to do. He is utterly, gloriously spontaneous. But he is hardly free. He is, if anything, a prisoner to his unbridled spontaneity. The fact of the matter is that discipline is the only way to freedom. It is the necessary context for spontaneity. I love this author. His name is John Guest. He, I mean, do you see what he just did there? True, I mean, the good spontaneity can be bound up. It's the necessary context for spontaneity. Spirituality without discipline moves in hapless fits and starts. It is sporadic, dependent on fluctuating feelings and external circumstances. It requires little to no effort, but also produces little to no sustained growth and thus little to no fruit. Now, I read this to you because I'm going to tell you right now, I think a lot of us struggle right there with spirituality. When it comes to being a spiritual person, we keep hoping for God to just flick some little switch in our hearts so that we just spontaneously feel like doing all the things that God has called us to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, that has never happened for me. Okay? I mostly feel an, <laughs> a weight of burden to, to force myself to fight against, and I found, the flesh to do the things that God has called me to do. I don't know about you, but it'd be sure nice if God just flicked a little switch in our hearts, right? Wouldn't that be great? I'm telling you, if you're waiting for that, 
it's not going to happen. You might have moments where that happens, and you love it. But I think that he captures something right here. Spirituality without discipline moves <clears throat> in hapless fits and starts. And some of you go, that describes my spiritual life. How many times have I started trying to read my Bible regularly? How many times have I started trying to pray more? How many times have I started... Right? All these things that we think, even down to things like church attendance, it's come in these fits and starts. I'm going to tell you right now, I did not feel like, this is going to shock some of you, some of you not at all, but some of you are going to, you're going to, you're going to go, what? <gasps> I'm going to tell you right now, I did not have one little bit of me this morning that felt like coming here today. <laughs> I was tired. I, I, I couldn't, I, I felt like I, I, the, the trump card of tiredness was going on all around me. Simone's like, the baby's crying all the time, and, and uh, you guys got branded, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm trying to pack up the house, so I, like, I stayed out every night, but then I was like, well, I can't really gripe. It's not like I have a crying baby going all night, so I, but I mean, I was tired. And this morning, I, I thought to my, and then the stupid time change. <laughs> I should just now be starting Sunday school, really. But I was tired. So I, I didn't feel like that, but this is why this topic is so important. To put it in context of Scripture, let me go to another passage. I've mentioned this one before, just in this series. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself. That Greek word, does anybody remember I told you what this was a couple weeks ago? Train yourself. I said there's that, that Greek word that's translated train. Do you remember yeah, it's where we get the word gymnasium, gymnazo. Some versions even translate it discipline. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So train yourself, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. There's a man named Don Whitney who has a book that's now considered a classic. It was written in 1991. I have it in my office over there, but all my books are packed up in boxes, so I couldn't pull it out for you today. Uh, the spirit, it's called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. In an interview where they were asking him, what, the, what are the spiritual disciplines, he answered this way. He said, the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture. Okay, important words here. They're those practices... Right, Those practices uh, found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Now, there's a whole lot of different lists of what people consider the spiritual disciplines. I could, I could give you a lot of examples of them. I'm going to hone in on three over the next three weeks, or you know, next three Sundays. Okay, the three spiritual disciplines that I'm going to hone in on, number one, and we're going to do this week, is reading your Bible. Okay? Now, if you went to Sunday school as a child, you might know what the next one is. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Okay, so guess what next week is going to be? Prayer. Okay? Um, and then the one after that is going to be, I think, one of the, an important uh, aspect of spiritual discipline is what you're doing right now today, going to church. Okay? Now, let's start with reading your Bible. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not doing, just going to go to a bunch of verses and say, read your Bible. I could give you some, but let, let me start. When the, the very first section of the Bible was completed, it was with Moses. And in the very end of that, very first piece, the first time it happened, uh, Moses wrote these words. He said, in these words that I command you today, this is from God, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I think that if I got up here today and just said, what's important is to read your Bible, would be missing the point. They need to be on your heart. Right? And we get an idea of what that might look like. Teaching them diligently to your children. Talking about them. Where at? When you're sitting in your house. Um, when you walk by the way. When you lie down. When you rise. I think these scriptures ought to begin to infiltrate every aspect of your life. Now, I'm going to do this today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have you... Get, you, guys have, you guys should have a Bible. I'm talking about reading your Bible. You should have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one underneath the chair in front of you. So I want you to find a Bible. And I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3. So find your Bibles. You have, Where's 2 Timothy at? It's in the back. If you're not for sure, somebody around you, I bet, knows. 2 Timothy, what's the matter? Do you want me to be discreet or hand you your reading glasses? <laughs> we would have known eventually some of you, you know. Um, I can't mock, I've got bifocals. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 there are only 17 verses in this chapter. These verses are composed of only 303 words. If you're using the ESV, there's 303 words. Uh, it's only 1,502 letters. Okay? If you include spaces, there's like 1,800 characters total. Okay? By the way, um, there's a section of this that I've preached on before. Um, I know some of you, you go, reading's not my thing. Okay? Some of you are like... It's, it's okay. I'm not critiquing at all. But I want you to think about something for just a moment. God chose to reveal himself through a book with words. So in some measure, you ought to, as a Christian, work at being a reader. Fortunately, in the society that we live in today, we have all kinds of helps, don't we? You can, get, you can pop on your phone and hit... In fact, Jeff was just in this morning getting a, a Bible app, and, and there, there's a lot of... You can hit the little speaker, and all this, it'll start reading it to you. Okay? But you, as a Christian, ought to put some measure of effort because God chose to reveal Himself through a book with words. You should, ought to work at reading. It's an important thing, okay? Just had to throw that out there, okay? Now, what I'd like you to do, 
was, I'd like you to read. I know this is risky with you sleepy people. I'd like you to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 to yourself. I'll give you a minute or two to do it. Am I going dead? Because I'm a teacher, I will say, when you're done reading, look up towards me. All right, I think I see most, most of you looking up. If you're not quite done, that's OK. I'm going to move on now. Did, did that take very long? OK, let me ask you this. Anything jump out at you while you read that? Anything pop out there? Except the, that one. You may not be looking for this, but what did, I'm reading from yeah. the James Version, which is beloved, I know. But it was really hard for me to understand. Yeah. So that might be something. There's some words that you came across, you're like, what's that mean? Yes. That's what, yeah. Well, so anything jump out at you while you're reading that? Anything? I'm just curious. Did anybody want to share anything that jumped out? You're like, hmm, well, that was interesting. Yeah. It's all inspired by God. Yeah, right at the very end. It's all inspired by God. Anybody else? Anything jump out? Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Read it like, I mean, I, I read that, and the one that, uh, Especially now, my my dean position, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Um, I I just think about. I mean, I've seen so many kids at school that when their parents come in, I mean, they're the kid is in trouble for using profanity and being disrespectful to for to a teacher. Then you'll see them come in and they're talking that way to their parents, and I'm like, I have to pick my jaw up off the ground. Like, my goodness, what in the world is this world coming to? Um, you just you just you scratch your head, but we ought not to be surprised or shocked. Um, 
Now, I've preached on this before. Uh, because there, these 303 words are important, and if we are going to discipline ourselves, we're going to begin right now. So let's, this is kind of like practice. So reading your Bible in the morning, afternoon, evening, doesn't have to be big. I used to tell my students, I used to teach at a Christian school before I taught public school, and one of the things I taught when I taught Bible classes was if you read, if you read a chunk and, and you walk away and you're like, I didn't get anything out of that, pick a smaller chunk. If that's still too much, pick a smaller chunk. I, I've told kids before, if you have to, get Proverbs, read one verse a day, if nothing else. Start there. And, and ask yourself, well, what's that mean? Okay? What jumps out of me? I think that's one of the best things. What, what, what jumped out of me? If you read through a section and nothing at all jumped out at you, you might be like me. Because I do that sometimes, and it's because I was reading, but my mind was going, oh man, tacos later. Sound pretty tasty. I wonder if I rem did people bring chips? I mean, I, I, you start thinking about things. Anybody else do that when you're reading? Okay, how are we even doing that? First of all, I don't know how that happens, but I'm sitting there, I'm reading, but I, I get sidetracked. And so sometimes there's been a lot of times in the morning that I, I'll read and I'll, I'll get, I'll read a whole little chunk and I'm like, I have no idea what I just read. And I'll stop and I'll go, I, I'm, I, I, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm going to have to look at that again. And sometimes I've had to just say, okay, I'm going to pick a small, because I'll start reading and I'll start doing the same thing. And I'll go, okay, okay, okay. I'm just going to read a smaller chunk. I have to do that sometimes. And so I'll stop and I'll just read one. And sometimes I'm like, my eyebrows start to go like this. And I'm like reading the Bible like this. Focus. Okay. So it's okay. But now Joshua 1.8. Next little chunk of scripture that was written after Moses' section, Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. When? Day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, I'm going to jump back over to Timothy here, this this thing we're gonna we're gonna hone in on the very end because there's a couple verses in here that when you're thinking about the Bible, I'm gonna tell you right now. I think all of you ought to have this verse in your head, in your heart. So by the end of the day today, before you leave, I think you're gonna be able to quote this verse. Okay. Now, verse 14. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that verse 14 and 15 for context, but then we're gonna hone in really closely on verse 16. So let's look at this. Verse 14 says this: Paul the apostle is writing to Timothy, and sometimes this is why it helps to have a study Bible, so you can see like who wrote this, who's it to, what's it about, like what's what's going on, like who's saying these things. Okay, so this is Paul the apostle writing to younger Timothy, who's a, a leader in the church. He's right, grown up in the church. Um, in fact, I think it's his. It's his mother, and I think it's his grandmother. Is that right? His grandmother, that were both um, of Jewish descent. And, he, and so you're going to hear some things here. Paul knew this about it. So he's going to talk about things that he's taught Timothy, but you're also going to see hints at what Timothy must have picked up from mom and from grandma. Okay? And I love that because I think that it's, it's the same thing with our world today. Not every country in this world are you going to have people that go, I heard things from my mom and my grandma. But I think that in our country, you still have a lot of that. I mean, a lot of kids that have nothing to do with God, but they've, they've picked up things from mom and grandma, right? These sacred scriptures. But uh, Paul says this to him, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
And he throws this there. He says, knowing from whom you learned it. You're not going to ever hear me get up and say, or uh, hear me get up here and say, um, do what I say, not what I do. That's stupid, right? Why would you take advice from somebody that can't get their own life together? You ought to be listening to people. I mean, you ought to, when you're listening to people, consider their way of life. How are they living their life? I know a lot of people that they, they take advice from uh, their coworkers that can't get anything but their lives together. Their life is a total disaster, and yet they're the ones that are spout off the most advice, which I think is hilarious. Well, I just think you ought to. Really, has that worked out for you? I mean, don't say that to them. That can be rude. But, uh, I mean, let's, let's, reality. You ought, I don't, there's nothing wrong with considering, like, who you're getting the advice from. Is this working out for them? And Paul says this to Timothy. He doesn't tell Timothy, do what I tell you to do, not what I'm actually doing. He says, consider who you're learning things from. Very important. He says this next. And how... From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And here we get a, a first little glimpse, and we're going to unfold this, uh, a benefit. I, a book that I like is, um, I, I like books by Jack London. You guys know who Jack London is? Anybody, in, oh, oh. Anybody know Jack London? Okay, a couple. Uh, he's the one that writes all the books about the dogs, like White Fang and Call of the Wild, all those kinds of things. I love those. Those are, those are good books. You probably heard of Call of the Wild. Um, I love The Hobbit. Before they were movies, I loved those books as a kid. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no other book on this planet that you can say of it. It will make you wise what does it say? Wise for salvation. No book is like this book. It will make you wise for salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this: All Scripture is breathed out, or as most of you know, this verse is inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, okay? So I'm going to say all scripture, and then you're going to repeat after me. All scripture. All scripture. Let's do that again. All scripture. All scripture. Okay? The writings. That's what that word, it's, it's the Greek word, gra graphy, like G-R-A-P-H-E. It's the, the writings, okay? All scripture. Uh, in the Bible, it's referring to these sacred writings. So when we use the word scripture, it's referring to these sacred writings. For them, it's talking about the Old Testament. When Paul's talking about this, because the New Testament wasn't completed yet. But even before the end of the New Testament, Peter, in 2 Peter 3.16, starts referring to Paul's writings as scripture. He talks about them as scripture, and he refers to them as uh, or he talks about Paul's writings, he refers to them as Scripture. Okay? So the Scriptures for us are, is this book. By the way, if anybody ever tells you, well, there, what about all those other letters that didn't make it in? I'm going to tell you, that's a bunch of hogwash, lies, filth that is not true. Okay? I would be more than happy to sit down with you and talk about the, the facts and the details about how this came together. Okay? Uh, there was never a point where there's people going, 
let's pick this one because we like what it says, and let's get rid of this one because we don't really like it. That wasn't happening. In fact, they all started going. They had the, the first council where all the churches that came from Paul's plants all got together. It was actually in the city of Ephesus the very first time. And what they found, all these churches that were getting together, they go, which ones do you think are scripture and which ones do you think are just letters? Like, I think it's these. And they're like, that's the same ones that we picked. I, I don't think they had that same expression, but that's what I would have done if I was there. But that's what they started. They started, okay, so this city over here in Philippi. But we were thinking these are the ones that were scripture that God had inspired Paul to write. I'm like, well, that's the same ones that we, and then this other, and so they got together, and it was an amazing moment because they were all sort of going, wait, we're in agreement. The only books that they even questioned, like a few hundred years later, was the book of Hebrews, and there was one other book, I think it was Jude, I don't remember, I don't know if you guys remember, but Hebrews was one, and the only reason why they questioned it was because they didn't know, the, they don't know the author, they don't know if it's Paul or somebody else. But unanimously, they decided all these churches all across, this is before it was organized. It wasn't like there was some you know, guy that was in charge that was deciding things. It was just all these churches, and they unanimously realized through prayer and seeking after God, like, this is it right here. Okay? So if you get somebody that tells you, oh, well, it's just a hodgepodge, just hogwash. In fact, let me tell you this. I've heard this put a hundred different ways, and you guys, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about this. Um, I'm going to use uh, a guy named Tim Chaffee, his, his quote. He says this. He says, among all the books ever written, the Bible is absolutely unique. Actually, it is not just a book. It's 66 books. And one of its most remarkable qualities is the complete unity of the overall message despite having so many different authors writing over many centuries on hundreds of controversial subjects. Natural explanations fail to account for the supernatural character and origin of Scripture. The Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in three different languages. These facts alone make the Bible one of a kind. There is nothing even remotely like the Bible. But there are many more amazing details that defy natural explanation. The authors, shepherds, kings, scholars, Fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest all penned portions of Scripture. They had different immediate purposes for writing, whether recording history, giving spiritual and moral instruction, or pronouncing judgment. They composed their works from palaces, prisons, the wilderness. They did not go. Um, the wilderness and places of exile while writing history, laws, poetry, prophecy, and proverbs. In the process, they laid bare their personal emotions, expressing anger, frustration, joy, and love. Yet despite this marvelous array of topics and goals, the Bible displays a flawless internal consistency. It never contradicts itself or its common theme. That little thought right there alone, thinking through the reality of what 
this is ought to stir you to go, I should read this thing. I should read that. All scripture. What's he say next? Is breathed out by God or inspired by God, but it literally means breathed out by God. Okay, so I'm going to say something, and then you, I'm going to pause, and then you repeat, okay? All Scripture, All scripture is, breathed out by God. is breathed out by God. Let's do it again. All Scripture, All scripture is, breathed out by God. is breathed out by God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 Peter says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke. This is a great mystery. I think we're getting a, a glimpse of what this mystery is. Because, because Peter wrote fisherman style, with fisherman words and slang. And Paul wrote different. And, and this other guy, he wrote... This, all these different people that I just want, the shepherds and kings and scholars, they have their own unique stuff. But yet, the end result, by some miracle of God that I don't fully comprehend, is that the end result is the very Word of God. And I think we get a glimpse of it here. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hence, Paul's phrase, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. Okay, so let's do this again. Okay, you always know when I'm doing the like, whole repeat because my voice changes. I shift to teacher mode, right? Okay, class. All scripture, all scripture is, breathed out by God is breathed out by God and profitable. Okay, profitable comes from a word that means to heap up or accumulate. It literally means profitable. You're, you're getting something from it. the word of God. There's, there's profit to be had in this book. Okay, John chapter 17, verse 17, in Jesus' famous prayer, he says this. We've been talking about sanctifica sanctification and being set apart for God's purposes. He says this, to, when he, as Jesus is praying to God, which is a mind-blowing experience to be able to read a prayer that Jesus prayed when he spoke to God the Father that's recorded in the book of John. You should read it. It's amazing. He says this. He says to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. And he says, your word is truth. It is profitable. You, you go, I want to be sanctified. I want, to, I want God to change me. Start right here. Start reading this thing. Okay? Start reading it. Let's point out some of the things that Paul says it's profitable for. All scripture, All scripture is, breathed out by God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Some versions say doctrine. It's teaching. It's learning the things that are true. I heard one pastor say it this way one time. He said, it's learning the difference between right and wrong. Okay, so just kind of hold that little thought. That's, it's more than that, but that's one idea. So there's things, so you can pick this up and go, I learned something. It's profitable. You, you walk away from it knowing more about who God is and how He operates by reading this book. Okay? All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. There's more. Uh, all Scripture, all 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. Reproof is literally the idea of proving something or testing something. I know uh, I used to have to help with a science teacher, and they, they, they called it the litmus test. There's like this piece of paper you dip in to see if something is an acid or a base, and it's called the litmus test, right? Because it was litmus paper, whatever that is, right? But that's what this is for. It's, it's a proving thing. This word is sometimes translated conviction. So you can be reading this Bible, and sometimes you're reading it and you go, oh, I didn't know that, right? You just got some teaching. But then sometimes you read this and you go, get that sinking feeling. And you go, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. That's me. That's a profitable thing, is it not? To get a good glimpse of who you are and where your shortcomings are. To be tested by the very word of God. It doesn't stop there. All scripture, All scripture is, breathed out by God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, profitable for, teaching for reproof for correction. For correction. So correction, you ever driving along the road? And some of you know exactly, because some of you are giving me that look. I, I'm seeing the look right now. You ever done that when you're driving? Have you ever had to experience the wonderful thing that they put on the side of the road? You ever hit those little rumble strips on the side? And wake up? What do you do when you, you hit those? You correct, a little course correction. Right? <laughs> yeah. But think about this. The Word of God doesn't just teach you what's right and wrong. It teaches you where you're wrong. It also teaches you how to get right. That's how I remember this idea. Oh, what's right and wrong? But, oh, I'm, I've messed up. But then it shows you how to get back on the right direction, the right path. Correction. All Scripture. All Scripture. Is breathed out by God, out by God and, profitable for and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for reproof, for correction and, for training in righteousness. and for training in righteousness. Training is more than just teaching. We had that it's profitable for teaching already. Training is instruction with an emphasis on practice. Okay, so it's what I do when I used to teach math. I would show them, but then I'd say, now you need to try it. Do that problem. Okay, and it, okay let's try this one. And a lot of times what would happen is I'd, I'd do one example, and then I'd say, okay, try one. And I'd have kids that would go, I'd show them one example. They're like, I got it. And I'm like, okay, we'll try an example. And they go, I don't got it. <laughs> right? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. So this case, let's try that. Now do it again. They go, Oh, I like the, that's my favorite sound as a teacher. I love it. It's a universal sound of learning. When somebody, I, I, I can just remember I used to teach and I'd just every once in a while you'd hear it from across the room. Oh, right. Oh, ah, 
a little chorus of learning happening. And I would, I would say that in my classroom. I'm such a nerd. I'd be like, I'd like can you hear that? Learning is happening right now. I always point out that the human mind, did you guys know that the brain, like if you look at the brain, you ever seen a picture of a brain that's got all the wrinkles in it? You know that the, the more someone has learned over a lifetime, the more wrinkled it is? Did you know that? So I would, I would say sometimes, I say, oh, you hear that? You hear that? I think I just heard another wrinkle. <laughs> and then there's some kids you go, buddy, you're a smooth brain. <laughs> in my head, I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so here's the thing, right? Tranks. Sometimes you have to, you, you do it. And this is exactly what happens. Maybe you learned something about self-control a couple weeks ago. Like, man, I should try some self-control. And then maybe you got to Tuesday and something you were trying to be self-controlling in and like, okay, Lord, I'm going to deny the flesh, do what I'm supposed to do, and, and, and you messed up. But maybe, as you're reading through Scripture again the next day, maybe you learn, ah, oh, so I have to deny the flesh. Maybe you came across that verse. Deny the flesh. Okay, so, so the flesh is in my head going, no, you need to do this. And, and, and so I, there's, there's a part of me where I have to battle. I need to argue. I need to tell the flesh, no. And so you start learning these things from reading Scripture. And so then you start putting them into practice. So you learn the difference between right and wrong, right? Learn how to, where you're wrong, learn how to get right. And then it's training in righteousness, learning how to stay where God wants you to be. It goes on to say after this um, that the man of God, that word man is anthropos. Have you ever heard of anthropology, the study of humanity? That the person of God, right? The person of God may be complete. The word complete is mature, not lacking. If you as a person go, I, I want to get to the place where I'm not, not missing out on the things that God has for me. I think we're finding it right here. This is the, the path to take. Complete and equipped for every good work. Wait, let's do it one more time. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching. And profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction. For reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness. Now, when you start to understand this verse and the profit you get from the Word of God, you will understand when the psalmist, King David, says things like this when he's talking about... Actually, this is Psalm chapter 1. I don't have verse 1 up there, but verse 1 it says, says the, the, the righteous one, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit. And he's talking about the righteous, the wicked are not this way, right? But he's talking about the righteous man, and he says this, but his delight, 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 he, he enjoys. His delight is in the law of the Lord. It's talking about the Bible. The law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. You'll start to understand how the psalmist can later in Psalm 119, which, by the way, if you don't know where else to start reading your Bible, if you've like, always struggled with reading your Bible, I want to tell you right now, go to Psalm 119 and just read Psalm 119, but don't read it all. It's actually broken up according to the Hebrew alphabet, and I think it's what, is a seven-verse segment. Anybody remember how many verses it is? Little, little chunks. Read one little chunk a day, right? Read one little chunk a day. Uh, Psalm 119 is all about loving the Bible. Read that. 
But you might understand how the psalmist can write something like this. When you start to understand what the Bible is, you start to say things like this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. All scripture is breathed out by God. And wait a minute, time out. Some of you are going, it's not up there. Okay, listen, listen, and repeat. Okay, you can do this. You can do this. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching. And profitable for teaching. For reproof for correction. For reproof for correction. And for training in righteousness. And for training in righteousness. All right, let's see if we can condense it down to just, uh, that was four repeats. Let's see if I can do it in three phrases. Okay, ready? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction. For teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness. And for training in righteousness. Can you do it in one? Oh, let's try two. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For reproof, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Not horrible. I'm going to tell you right now. You all need... To hide this scripture in your heart. This is the type of scripture that you can go to so often and go, okay, that's right. This, this, there is when you're waking up in the morning and you're going, why am I doing this? I could be sleeping an extra 20 minutes. Oh, it's profitable. I need this today. Okay? <clears throat> can we do it on your own? I'll say it with you. Ready? I'm not going to put it up there. I am going to look, though, to make sure I don't mess you guys up. <laughs> I, I have the problem because I memorized this um, in the King James. And so my mind wants to shift back over. All, I, I want to go all scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. For, and so I, I, I want to go that way. Um, all right. So let's say we, see if we can do this together. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All right. Um, I'm going to now, we're going to close. I'm going to leave that verse with you. We're going to do some communion here. Um, I want to think about, I was thinking about uh, last little thought as we were, as I was finishing this up. There's a verse that Jesus actually quotes in the New Testament. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, where Jesus is quoting something from the Old Testament, where he's talking to the children of Israel. God is talking to the children of Israel, and he says this. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You will not live by tacos alone. You will not live by having your bills paid alone. You will not live by just having a roof over your head. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Where did these words come from? These, from these fishermen and all these? It was breathed out by God. You can trust if you have your doubts. Let, let me help you with it. I, I'd love to help you with that. If you're sitting there going, I don't know, but I saw this TV show. Well, there's your first problem, right? I'm telling you, this is trustworthy. But if you need some help getting over that hurdle, if you're sitting there going, I, but if you're sitting there going, no, I believe it. I believe this is the word of God. But you aren't investing into it. What might the problem be? I think it's because you haven't seen its benefit for you. And it is profitable. It's profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that you as a person might be complete and equipped for every good work. You go, man, I need that. Okay, well, here you go. Invest. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. Love it. 